This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. A dream is made real. Ricky Hatt rocks the world. How do you like it? How do you like it? I wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass. It's over. Mamma mia. He's done it. Anthony Joshua defeats Vladimir Klitschko. Uh. So it feels like forever since we've done a big fight preview episode. In fact, I think the last one that we did was Tiafimo Lopez and Richard Comney in December. And it's been that lacklustre over the past six, seven weeks with boxing, as you probably heard in our dry January episode, that we've not really had a big fight as such, or what we would class as a big fight to cover. And I don't necessarily think this weekend's boxing is big fight but it's the return of special k kel brook so for us as british boxing fans the question's always been there will he ever win a world title again is he on the march to a world title will he fight army khan lots of questions that have yet to be answered so he's back in action in sheffield this weekend we've also got the return of gary russell jr and Guillermo rigondo also fighting over in america this weekend and of course we'll be touching on last Thursday night or Friday morning's action with Demetrius Andrade and Luke Keeler and their bill as well. So, yeah, big fight preview. We're here, we're back, we're looking forward to the weekend. It's all about Kel Brook this weekend for me. It is all about Kel Brook, absolutely. And I can't wait to see Kel again. I, I'm a fan. I've always been a fan. I've, when, it, when it comes to watching him in the ring, I've, he never fails to entertain me personally and I'm sure many others. It's been a shame, a crying shame that his last fight was back in December, what, 2018 was it? And, you know, it looked like then, hopefully, he was going to press on in his new division, in the 154-pound division. And by this point, you'd think he'd either be champion or had a world title fight. Unfortunately, it hasn't planned out that way. But by the sounds of Kel, how, he's, how he sees himself, this is the second phase of his career and he's ready. To, to go for it and he's ready to, to win a world title again and, and, and in a division where I believe he could do and, I, and I'm really excited to see what Kel can produce on Saturday night against a guy who should be being quite comfortably. Well it's a, it's an interesting 
conversation about Kel Brook's career because, you know, we were talking about him just a couple of weeks ago and obviously the lads over at ESPR were talking about summing up Kel's career in a sentence and, and with the gif of obviously Kel Brook rolling his eyes basically and it's it's an interesting one because ever since, you know, that that step up to take on Golovkin, it feels like that's always been where his career's kind of took that downslide. He, he had a great fight with Errol Spence and he, in fact, I think people had him winning that fight, including myself, up until the point that his other orbital bone ended up getting fractured and he seemingly wanted to stop the fight because of the injury. So he's it, it, been marked by them fights in his career. They're the fights that have, have left a legacy on his career and not the legacy that I think he would have wanted. His victory over Sean Porter way back in 2015 seems a lifetime ago now. And now we're looking at him in the super welterweight division as he takes on Mark DeLuca, who's 24-1, and one, which is for a WBO intercontinental super welterweight title. So, yeah, yeah just another bullshit <laughs> title just to get him into them rankings and just to get him pushed up into them rankings to potentially justify a world title shot down the line. But Mark DeLuca, you know, let's talk about Mark DeLuca first and foremost because this is the opponent for him on Saturday night. 24 and 13 knockouts on his record. A lot of the mainstream fans that maybe follow the bigger names, like, say, Yakel Buxy Joshua's, probably don't even know who this guy is. And that's the first thing that springs to mind for me is, who is this guy? Who, you know, who is he? Has he been in with anyone in particular? Has he had any big names on his resume? And for me, he he, he hasn't. And and that's that's a difficult sell for me. It's good to see Kel back. And I'm not knocking him for coming back. I want to see him back. And like you said, I want to see him do well and, and potentially win a world title, a, a second weight. But the last couple of fights that he has been involved in have been against names where you think to yourself, these are not the names Kel Brook should be in with. He's got the skill and the capabilities to be in them big fights. But yet he's taking on a guy here who's 24-1 and one who's... He's never really been in a world title fight, to be honest with you. He's been in NABA super welterweight title fights or IBA world super welterweight title fights, which is, he has won, but he's not been involved with any big names. To, and to me, it, it can go two ways, really, for Kelbrook. It'll be a Kelbrook win by a blowout, and this guy will look overmatched, or this guy is actually really tougher than what his record actually lets on. Yeah, it's, it's a tricky one. Uh, I mean, the one thing that stands out for me is the fact that he is a southpaw. Uh, whether that will cause a problem for Kelbrook, we'll have to see. I'm not so sure it will. As you say, he has not really fought anyone of any real note. I mean, the, the loss on his record came against the guy for Walter Wright. And yeah, again, the guy wasn't anything. He went on and, and, and went on to win the next fight by Yannem's decision back in 2018. But this should be a quite comfortable win for Kel. I don't see how this guy poses much of a other than the fact that he's a southpaw. If Kel struggles or he loses this fight, then um, basically I think he should be calling it a day. I think he's openly said that himself, that you know if he doesn't win this fight, he will... He will stop. I don't see this. I don't see this guy posing much of a threat. As I say, it's just the stance, really. I think it's. I think the matter. I think. I think for them, because he's been out of the ring for so long, Kel, this guy's a natural super welter. So he's fought a super super welter for what? Pretty much his whole career. For his whole career, uh, he dipped sort of into the middles for one fight, but other than that, it tends to have been over the sort of in and around 154 pounds. So I think. The fact that he's a southpaw, the fact that he's a natural super welter, is a good point to kill, but he should be 
getting rid of this fella quite comfortably and easily. And and then this is where for me he he moves on. And I mean we don't want to look too far beyond this fight. I don't think Kel should. This shouldn't be that much of a a challenge for Kel Brook in Sheffield as well, in front of his fans. I think this should be a pretty straightforward victory for him. He should be. But, you know, we've seen Cal in the past make some of them so-called straightforward victories into more difficult night. I think the Carson Jones one is the first one that springs out to mind to me when he had that fight with Carson Jones and then he had the rematch with him and he looked more comfortable in the second fight with him. I, I want him to win. Let's be honest, right? I want him to win. I want him to do well. I am concerned as to whether he is past his best or not now, whether the, we're going to see Helbert win another world title uh, another way. I, I honestly don't know. I'm str- I'm struggling to sort of... Part of me thinks maybe the Golovkin fight has always tarnished his career or will he prove everybody wrong and will he write his name in history? He's already done that by winning the world title, of course, but will he write his name in, in history and, and make that legacy more defining for himself by going up there and facing one of the big boys in the super welterweight division? And I think that's, for me, that's what he needs to do. He needs to beat Mark DeLuca and he needs to do it in emphatic fashion. And if he doesn't do it in emphatic fashion and he struggles against him, then people are going to sit there and continuously berate him and say, I think maybe it's time to, to go past your best or maybe just have this uh, the, the so-called mega fight in Britain against Amir Khan and call it a day, get your money, cash out kind of thing. And, and that's what a lot of people in Britain talk about. We've been fed up about this, this fight, whether it's going to happen, whether it's not going to happen. It's been going on for a good four or five years now and it's it's not happened. And I think, do we still want to see the fight? Ah, not really, not, not ideally. I'd watch it if it was on, but I wouldn't go out of my way to say I want to watch the fight. I want to see him in with the big names. I mean, look at the super welterweight landscape at the moment. You were, you've got you got Jarrett Hurd over there. You've obviously got the Charlo brothers, uh, one in the middleweight and one in the super welterweight division. And you've obviously got, got Julian Williams, who we've seen recently lose to Rosario a couple of weeks back. So the super welterweight division at the moment, the landscape of it, is has changed over the past couple of years. And I think if, if he's going to win a world title in another way, this is probably the ideal time to do it. Because although, you know, maybe some people think he's a little bit past his best that he was, say, in 2015, where I think he was at his best, could he beat a Rosario? Well, judging on what I've seen from Rosario, I, I think he could. I think he could beat a Rosario. Could he beat a Julian Williams? Possibly, yeah. Could he beat a Hurd? That'd be a cracking fight. Could he beat a Charlo? I mean, these are the questions that everybody asks themselves or they put the the voices out on social media about what could he do or what couldn't he do. And I think he's definitely got a good chance of beating a few of those guys that I've mentioned there and becoming a world champion. But Saturday night for me is going to tell me the story as to whether I think there is something left for him. And if he looks terrible, if, if he looks terrible on Saturday night, I think the things I'll be saying on our reaction show to this will probably be something along the lines of take the Amir Khan fight, get a big payday and just get out while you can. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, just just you, you saying that, it's almost echoing my thoughts of when he fought Michael Zavara, Zavara back in uh, December 8 in his last fight. I thought he looked well out of tune that night. He didn't look good at all. And, and I, think, I believe Khan had a bit of a, a poor showing with, with Crawford, it might have even been actually the fight before that, but I thought at that point that um, Khan and Brooks would just get it on because you could clearly see they were on the decline. Now, it has been over a year, so 
maybe, just maybe, Kel has managed to get himself back into shape and get, in, get that hunger back. I mean, I, I listened to an interview recently and he, he sounded like he was really hungry and he was sort of mentioning his mentality and how he, how he trained and how he approached fights was nowhere near what he's now doing now. And that's what, that's what many fighters say when they get to this age. And I, I remember uh, several other fighters, sort of when they get to uh, over 30, they start saying, actually, my, my mentality's right, my body, you know, didn't quite get in there. Um, so I wonder if that could be a problem with Kel. But I, I, I believe he, when you throw their names out there, I think there is no reason why he could beat any one of them. Um, and seeing sort of... Uh, Rosario win the other night against Williams. They're two guys I think Kel on, on his night beats them, and I think he beats them comfortably. And and even with Jarrett Jer- Hurd, I think the one thing with Jarrett Hurd was the fact it was his size. But when I see Williams, when he beat him, I sort of thought, well, actually, you know, he doesn't look that great. So And he's there to be hit, Jarrett Hurd. So he's a, he's a guy that he could beat as well. Um, and obviously the Charlo, again, Charlo, he's, he's one of those... Jamal or Jamel, whatever one it is, in the way, I always get confused, to be honest with you. But uh, again, these guys should have been fighting some of the top names and they haven't. I just feel like they're being held back for too long. Whereas Kel sort of had it. I mean, they're, they're in danger of falling into the Kel Brook category um, and then having to jump up a couple of weights for the quick big fight, which was with the Golovkin one. And obviously, it all went Pete Tong for him from that point. But I think. I think Kel should be winning this, and I believe he's more than capable of beating those fellas that are champions. But what I would love to see. You mentioned him in the car, but I would love to see Liam Williams, Liam Smith, sorry, after this fight. I think that if them two were to fight each other, and then the winner should be in, a, that should be like an elimination fight. Whoever wins that goes and gets a title shot in their next fight. And I think that is the route where I think Kel Brook should be going. DeLuca, Liam Smith, and if he gets through that, then he can really realistically assess his situation. He can go for that world title shot, and we'll see. I can't agree with you that anymore, really, because I think that is probably... If I was guiding him in his career, I'd probably say the same as you. Obviously, that's the logical way to go, but obviously, we're not. We're just, we're just the fans. We're just the guys who want to see him do it in a certain way where it is going to benefit him, and he is going to go on to cement that legacy uh, of, of being a two-weight world champion. So, great fight for him. Great to be back, but you just need to see him blow... Deluca away, and if he doesn't, how is he going to get a world title shot against one of these bigger names if he can't go in there and put away a Deluca? Uh, even if he boxes him over 12 rounds and, and looks good doing it over 12 rounds, then that's fine. I can accept that as long as he's looking good doing it. If he's not and he's labouring his way to a victory, then that's when I'm going to be concerned again. So that's that's essentially the main event for Saturday night over here in the UK. But the bill's quite big, and I wanted to touch on, obviously, a couple of the other fights on the bill. His stablemate, Kid Galahad, is also back on Saturday night. He's taking on Claudio Marerio, and this is a return to the ring for the featherweight, Kid Galahad, who we did see him have a cracking fight in 2019 against Josh Warrington. And I think for, for some people... It, they felt and still feel that Kid Galahad actually won that fight. And I remember us having the conversation when he had that fight with Warrington that it was very close and we could have sort of seen how people scored it to to, to Kid Galahad. And I can't remember what our predictions were or what we both said we felt about that at the time. But I know it was very, very close and I know it could have essentially gone either way. And it was a little bit of controversy in that in that particular fight about how people felt it went down. So... 
he's back and he's got another featherweight contest on his hands and he's going in against a guy who I mean he isn't he isn't a mug, he isn't a slouch, he's twenty four and three, Marrero and he's going to come and he's going to put it on Kid Galahad. But Kid Galahad has got the opportunity here to show why he should be up at that level and getting another world title shot. So Marrero has been involved with world-level fights. He's been involved in interim WBA featherweight title fights. He's been in IBO, interim or vacant world featherweight title fights. So he has been at the world level and has been involved in those type of fights. But... When he has stepped up against the bigger names, he's lost. So, to me, that indicates that he's going to come, he's going to put some pressure on, he's going to make Kid Galahad work, and for Kid Galahad, he's got to come out there and he's got to look really good in doing what he does best, which is a slick, slick fighter. And he's got to go out there and he's got to make him miss and make him pay. And I think if we want to see him back in with a Josh Warrington or another featherweight champion he's got to go out there and do the business again as per his stable mate Kel Brook he's got to go and show his, show his worth to people and it's in Sheffield it's in the hometown they've got to go out there and do something so Kid Galahad's on the bill on Saturday night this is a good fight for him he's got to go and win this to get himself another world title shot yeah I think so and I'm completely with you in front of their fans all their Sheffield faithful and and they, it puts a little bit of pressure on the both of them because they've both got to go there and not only have they got to win their fights, but they've also got to look good doing it. And um, once again, I mean, the one thing you will say about Claudio uh, Marrero is the fact that he's a southpaw. Same height as, as Kid Galahad, but, you know, the southpaw stance can be very tricky for people at times. And, you know, they call him the Matrix. I don't know too much about Marrero. I'm guessing he's, you know, he's from uh, the Dominican Republic. So... Um, I, I, it's, it's difficult to assess what he's about. I mean, he's number nine by box wreck in the world in the uh, featherweight division. So he's no mug, you know, 24 and three. Sometimes you can't really read too much into those three defeats. I mean, one of them was a stoppage and the other two were, I, I believe, I, I think the other one was, I haven't quite been in front of me, one of them was definitely a, a, a UD. But again, I mean, Kid Galahad, Barry, whatever you want to call him, he showed that he's got a lot of ability against Josh Warrington. And, and you're right, I can't quite remember if I felt that he won the fight. I don't think I felt I think I felt Warrington did win it, but it was close. It wasn't by no means a robbery. I think people got a little bit overexcited with that, like people tend to do, especially on social media where the robbery words just chucked about. I don't think it was a robbery. I just think that Kid was able to, to nullify Warrington and Warrington was unable to do what he did in his other two fights and that is credit to him he's a great fighter on his day he can box superbly well and he's very difficult to hit he's very slick in the ring and I think I'm expecting the same I think this could go the distance I mean Moreira's only been stopped once again I don't know too much about the guy and how it would fight was even stopped so it's tricky to assess I'm, I'm, I'm expecting this to be a, a, a go the full distance and I, I, I feel that Galahad should be coming through this is boxing. You know, anything could happen. A lucky shot changes the whole complexion of this fight, but I think Kid's clever enough to get himself through this and navigate him through this fight and uh, get the victory he needs to push on. We've also got a chief support fight, which is Terry Harper going in against Eva Wallstrom for the WBC Super Featherweight title and defending her IBO Super Featherweight title, which is a big, big fight for her. This, this is one that I think we've been talking about 
we wanted to see her in the last time we seen her out there and she got that victory over Vivian Obanov. We said she looked really good in doing so. She could have potentially stopped her. She got the UD over her, but she's been looking really, really good in the last few fights before that. She'd knocked out all four of the previous opponents she'd been in the ring with and picked up the IBO title on the way and now she's got the chance to pick up a second title now in the weight by taking on the current WBC champion, which is Eva Wallstrom. So this is a brilliant fight. Again, she's obviously from the Yorkshire area. She's not from Sheffield directly, but this is a perfect fight for her to get involved and become the person that transcends female boxing in Yorkshire because at the moment she's certainly doing that and she's got so much time on her hands. It's ridiculous, to be honest, but she looks really, really good. She looks really good, and she's going in against the WBC Super Featherweight Champion. Now, she's been the WBC Super Featherweight Champion for for a good number of years now. She actually won it in 2015, and she's been the champion since 2015. The only loss on, on Wallstrom's record is against Katie Taylor. So... For me, this is this is a cracking fight. This is a cracking fight to show where Terry Harper is in her career because the only loss is against, obviously, the woman that's really transcending female boxing at the moment on, on this side of, of the pond, which is Katie Taylor. So if she could go in there and, and, and do a bit of a number on her, then I think this would be a massive, massive statement. I think Terry Harper, she's just... For, for the weight she's at, she just seems to have dynamite in her fist. And like I said, against Obanov, she was so close to stopping her on a numerous numerous occasions in that fight and she was just unlucky not to have got that stoppage victory over her. in the last four fights before it she was knocking people out so for me this is this is a really big chance for her flipping the coin over is it too much too soon for her yeah that's 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 the biggest question isn't it um and that open a fight i mean that was the first time i'd ever seen terry harper um i knew heard her name i just hadn't seen her fight before and i knew people were speaking about her and and she proved herself that night to me. As I say, the first time I seen her, I thought she was brilliant. I thought I really was impressed with her. And, and I couldn't believe that she was actually only 23 years old, to be honest with you. And I mean, wow, she, she's got a good head on her shoulders. And she's, she boxed really well. And she's got power. And uh, this, it, I think that's the biggest question. Is Eva a little bit too soon for her? Uh, you know, even 39 years old now. You know, she's uh, from Finland. Uh, People didn't know uh, Helsinki, and as you say, the one defeat on her record is Katie Taylor, and you know she was out box that night. Katie Taylor did a number on her, literally every round. I think the judges give her, and uh, and and rightly so. Um, so she could be out boxed, and I think Terry Harper's definitely got that ability, but she's also got the power. Um, will be interesting because obviously, Eva, as you say, hasn't been stopped. So uh, it, uh, I'm expecting her to produce together. I mean, the, the, the age difference is incredible that she's only 23 compared to Eva who's 39. I mean, it's insane. I mean, she's like a, she'll be a mother wife, you know what I mean? And uh, I, I honestly believe uh, it's the right time. And I think on a big night in Sheffield, the crowd are going to be there. They're going to be, I reckon they're, they'll almost be at their seats ready for the two big fights watching Terry Harper. So they get behind her and I think that'll be enough for her to, to see her through. Just, I think she thrives for that. From that fight I see of her, she seems to really get into the crowd that, that night in Manchester and, and and I think she's going to do the good. I think she's going to bring back the bacon and I think she will pick up her, her first real big major title. Moving on then, the rest of the card is made up by the return of Martin Joseph Ward, Anthony Tomlinson, Dave Allen's actually on the bill as well and John Doherty, Dante Dixon and Callum Beardrow all on the card. So, talking point for me, 
the only other one for this particular card is is Dave Allen. Now, obviously, Dave Allen, for anybody that's outside of the UK, Dave Allen's from Doncaster, which is part of Yorkshire, which is like a borough, basically. If you think of, if you're listening from America and you've got your state within that state, you've usually got all your different little mini villages or towns or however you want to categorise them, and Doncaster's one of them. So, for him to be on this bill, it's a case of him getting back out and, and being active again. But we've spoke about Dave Allen a lot in the past two years because, obviously, he's been involved in various fights. He's been involved in fights where he's, he's come off the back of losses. He's gone in there and pulled out some punches that have just shocked us all because he's knocked out guys you weren't expecting him necessarily to knock out. So his last fight was against David Price in July last year. So he's been out of the ring for well over six, seven months now, and this is his first fight back since that loss. And it was it was a pretty bad loss for to, for him to be honest with you, because he was he was beaten from pillar to post by David Price. And and this is David Price, this is the guy who we've we've said a few times maybe he should retire as well. And for David Price to to do a number on him, Dave Allen to walk away with his face looking like a ball sack after being battered for twelve rounds, it was <laughs> It, it wasn't a good look for him, to be honest with you. I and mean, I've always known he's a little bit limited, and I've always known he's... I'm not saying he's a shit fighter, he's not. He's, he is a l- limited fighter, he is a bit of a one-trick pony. He can be unmotivated, he could be a lot better, but I just don't think he's kind of got that motivation to, to push his career onto the next level. I think he seems to thrive off being a guy that's kind of on the verge of maybe, say, quit boxing to kind of coming back and pulling off an upset, and I think that's he, he likes to be in that sort of area when it comes to boxing. And and for me, he's coming back. And what's going to happen here is he's probably going to come back against a journeyman, and he's probably going to go in and beat him. And then he's probably going to end up trying to push for a, another big fight domestically against one of the British guys. I mean, we've looked at some of the big fights potentially for the British guys for the next twelve months, and I just get the feeling Dave Allen could be cannon fodder for them. To be honest, I agree. I, th- I think. I think with Dave, I'm, I'm surprised that he's back on the bill. I honestly thought that he, because of that defeat against Pricey, I think he felt that um, he was going to call it a day. Um, I know he's still young, very young, and he's, he's I mean, was he 28 or something there? Um, but he started young, and he obviously was a bit of a sparer. He sparred a lot with some of the big guys. I think that's where he come from, wasn't he? I think originally that's where he was just, because he, he just doesn't go down. He's he perfect for sparring, really, Dave Allen. He's like a moving dummy, isn't he, at times? I'm not being disrespectful to him, but um, and as you say, I think he has to be the underdog. If he's not the underdog, I think he's undermotivated. I think for that price fight, I think I think he shaded it. I think a few people felt, I think even myself, I thought he might have just pulled off you know, one of them shots like, like he did against Nick Webb, uh, and that would have flattened Price. Uh, but Price was great that night, hence why I thought he would do a number on Chisora, which obviously didn't happen, so... You know, it's an interesting one with Dave. I really don't know where you stick him. Yeah, he's going to stick him in with, to, on Saturday. It's going to be a comfortable win for him. Um, is he going to come in on weight? Is he going to be... That's the other thing. He's always had this issue where uh, he want, is he motivated enough to train hard enough? I don't think he is. I think he's at that stage where he could potentially fight for a British title, uh, possibly a European if that is what he wants to do. And to be fair, that's about as far as you, I expect him to go. So, you know, the fact that he's had fights with, with Dillian White, he's had fights with Lewis Ortiz. So, you know, the, I think he's had some good fights, you know, and I think he's proven himself at times. The Lucas Brown in particular with that great body shot. And as I say, the Nick Webb finish was fantastic. 
I just think that it's just a matter of earning a few pound, a few pound notes for, for Dave. And, uh, you know, maybe he might get one more big fight. I mean, I, the first name that springs to mind for me is someone like a Nathan Gorman. I live in completely different organisations in terms of matchroom. And then you've got, obviously, Gorman over Queensborough. But I still believe that that's a fight that could happen. And it'd be good for Gorman more than anything uh, to be... But to, not to disrespect Dave, I just think that it's, I can't really see where he goes, to be honest. I think it's a bit of a dead end, and I just think it's just all about money for him. This is the uh, the first major bill of the year on, on Sky, and, and obviously from, from Matchroom in the UK. So we're getting to see this. It, it's OK. It's not too bad of a card. I think, you know, I've seen worse. I've seen a lot better, of course. And I think the Kelbrook fight is the one that we all want to see we want to see where he goes next how he performs is it the end is it just the beginning in the super welterweight division well, Saturday's going to tell us the story of it but I'm going to move over to stateside and go to America and look at the American bill that's on and the one that I think is most interesting this weekend is the return of Gary Russell Jr. defending the WBC featherweight title against I, I'm not even going to try and pronounce his name because <laughs> it's uh, it's a pretty difficult it's Tug Sogat Niam Bayea I think it is I, I think I've uh, I think I've absolutely destroyed that name but I've given it a good go and he's 11 and 0 and he's coming in there to try and dethrone Gary Russell Jr. on Saturday night I don't know a lot about him I'll be totally honest I'm not going to pretend that I do know a lot about him because I really don't and, and looking through his record and his resume the, the victory that he's got on his record ironically is against a guy that Kid Galahad's fighting this weekend which is Claudio Marrero who he beat by a unanimous decision when he was fighting for the IBO version of the World Featherweight title back in 2019 so that is really the only other recognisable name on his record since he's turned over in 2015. So this is quite early on, really, for him to be going in against a 30-1 and established champion and experienced fighter. And I think on paper it looks like a little bit of a mismatch, to be honest with you. And I'm sure if anybody knows a little bit about him, maybe able to shed a little bit more light about how good of a fighter he is or whether this is just a mismatch as to, to what it looks like to me. But obviously Gary Russell Jr. is a fighter we've been talking about for a couple of years who we wanted to see him get in the ring with some of the guys from over this side of the world. We wanted to see him in, in the ring with Carl Frampton. Now we want to see him in the ring with Josh Warrington. So we want to see essentially Gary Russell Jr. come through this to see whether he's going to get that big fight because... The, 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 the loss on his resume, if you don't already know it, is against Lomachenko. So he's only lost to, to Lomachenko in his career. Whether he wants a rematch there remains to be seen. I've not seen any interviews where he's calling him out, essentially. But I have seen him calling out Leo Santa Cruz. So that looks like a, a logical step for them two to get it on. But I'd like to see him against Warrington. Just being, obviously, biased towards our British fighter here and saying, I want to see Josh Warrington in the ring with Gary Russell Jr., uh, so it's good to see him back in the ring. And I think we've had this conversation before, Johnston, and I don't think we answered this conversation last time. I don't think we were able to get to the bottom of it, but I actually did a little bit of research on this on this next bit that I'm going to talk about now. So on this particular bill, you've obviously got Gary Russell Jr., who is actually named Gary Allen Russell Jr. And also, in the super lightweight division, you've got Gary Antoine Russell who's 12-0, which is actually the brother of Gary Russell Jr. And then you've also got in the bantamweight division, Gary Antonio Russell, who's 16-0 on the card. And the last time we looked at a bill and it had 
the three Russell fighters on the card, we was all a little bit like, are these are these guys actually related? They're all named Gary Russell. There's three Gary Russells on one card here. It turns out they're all related. They're all brothers, and I, I didn't even know this. This is how naive I was about about obviously the boxing that goes on in America because these three guys are actually brothers. And you know what? Have a guess what his dad's name is. I'm guessing Gary. <laughs> <laughs> Gary Russell Senior. <laughs> so, so hang on. Right, okay. So Gary Russell Junior is the Gary Allen Russell Junior. Then, yeah. <laughs> God's sake, yeah. Wow, too many Gary Russells. I, I, I dread to be in the Russell household when they call him Gary. <laughs> <laughs> How did I ever work out his letters? Is? I'll, still, <laughs> I'll struggle with that one. <laughs> I mean, Gary Russell Junior. For me, I mean, it, he just frustrates me, the guy, because he. I could, every time I've seen him, he does look good, um, and I have enjoyed, you know, just that terrific hand speed. But I mean, really, I mean, he fought, he fought Jojo Diaz, who won the other night. Um, so you know, and he beat him. Uh, and he beat him quite comfortably that night. And, you know, we see what, what Diaz done with Farmer. So he's obviously, he, he has still got something, although it was two years ago now. But I just, you know, the one fight a year, it's just so inactive. I just don't understand. And this guy, 11 alone, oh, he's knocked out nine guys out of 11. Um, he's from Mongolia, maybe, I mean, he's 23, maybe the fact he's from Mongolia. Sometimes it's tricky. You don't really know what he's about. You know, you know, look, he resides in Los Angeles. So, I'm sure he's going to be quite easy to get some, some video footage on information about. So, I don't know. I just think Gary, for me, I mean, since Lemonchenko, he just hasn't fought anyone, really. I mean, other than Diaz, who else? I mean, what, Christopher Martin, possibly? Patrick Hayland? Not for me. Uh, I do like Patrick, but no, he should not be fighting him. This guy from Lemonchenko... Should have been fought. It should have been fighting a lot more. Just trying to unify the division at times. He hasn't done any of that, and I don't. That's what frustrates me with him because he's clearly got ability. He just seems to just fight a guy that's eleven and zero from Mongolia. I don't know. I, I don't understand it. I think you know, even before that, he fought Kiko Martinez, the only fight he had last year. Kiko Martinez, and then Kiko Martinez. The one thing I'll say, I'll probably I'll, he's nowhere near got the ability to get him Russell Jr. But Kiko will fight anybody. And I'll give him that. I'll give that man absolute respect. The fact that he will fight anyway. He's fought them all, Kiko. Not always won. Most of the time he's lost, but he's got in the ring with him. And that's what he needs. He needs some of Kiko's bollocks, I think, because <laughs> clearly he's worried about losing. And I think since Lomachenko, he's maybe outscored him so much, he just he doesn't want to know. I don't know. I would love to see Josh Warren fight this guy. I think he puts it on him, and I think he makes it interesting. And I actually think he makes Gary look pretty average. I honestly believe that. I mean, I, I would never thought I'd say that sort of 18 months ago about Josh, but I, I think that's the fight for me. And, and, and even you said Leo. I don't, he don't want to go near, near Leo. I think there was, there was there was potential of this fight happening. It didn't happen. This should have happened about a year ago after Frampton. Why didn't he fight Frampton? Frampton wanted him. He didn't want to know. So uh, for me, I just think he avoids too many big fights. And hope, hopefully after this, he's going to go, oh, I need some money and I'm going to actually fight more than once a year and I'm going to fight someone. So it just frustrates me because he's such a good fighter and I just think that he needs to be in these big unification fights and I think he's avoided them, to be honest with you. Well, it remains to be seen, doesn't it? I mean, we want to see him in the big fights. We're just going to have to wait to see whether we get him and I think if we just see him fight once more this year and he doesn't fight again this year, then I think I'm going to start to really sit there and say you're right here because he needs to be in a big fight. He's, he's, he's not getting any younger. He's going to end up 
being known as the guy that avoided people, and that's that's something that you don't really want to be labelled as in as a boxer. No. Really, you don't want to be a guy. Oh, I avoided this and he avoided that, and you could have took this fight and you never did. And it's not really the way you want to see it happen. So moving on then to to one of the other fights on that particular card, then Guillermo Rigondo fights for the WBA bantamweight title which has been vacated by Naoa Anue. so he's taken on Liberio Solis who is a former opponent of Jamie McDonald's when he was down there in the bantamweight division with as the WBA bantamweight champion so this is interesting that Rigondo is still deciding to, to stay around and stick around and still got the world title ambitions and this fight looks like it could make him a champion once more yeah, it does, and it's an interesting one. Uh, again, uh, with, with Solis, he's, he's, he did hold a world title at one point himself, so they're both former champions, and it's a good fight, actually. I quite like the, I like this fight, and I think it's a good fight for Rigondeaux to come back. I, I've always been a fan of Rigondeaux. I think he's he's always impressed me. Obviously, the Lomachenko fight was, was a real downer for him, and, and uh, it didn't quite work out, but he did skip up cut the division, so... It's good to see him back in the bantamweight division. Interesting, though, that you said that Inouye has, uh, has vacated his title because that's another question mark. I mean, I know Rigondeaux is 39 and obviously Inouye has it. So he, obviously for me, I always thought Inouye was the guy he wanted to cement his legacy in the division and, and clear up. Has he vacated or is it just is it just a different version? Is it like a regular over a super? I don't know. No, it's vacated. He has vacated. So I yeah. mean, for me, I mean, I would have because I would have loved to have seen a new way if, if Rigondeaux was going to stick around in the division. I would have liked to have seen a new way Rigondeaux. To be honest with you, that would have been a good fight to watch. But maybe that means that you no, know, just looking on the other side of things, and a new way possibly looking to move up to Super Bannon. And I'm guessing, I'm guessing that would be the route he's looking to take, which is terrific. I mean, that's brilliant. I, I, I'm well pleased if that is the case. Or maybe he just didn't want to fight Rigondeaux. Who knows? I don't know. Like, who knows what it is? But. You know, if Ringel can pick up another world title, I mean, Solis isn't an easy fight for him. It's nowhere near any. It's not not for me anyway. I believe that, I know he's lost five. He's a guy that is, uh, as I say, former world champion and he's not easy to get rid of. You're not going to, I mean, not that Rigondeaux going to knock him out because Rigondeaux is well known for that. It's going to be a tough fight for him. Solis, you'll see 30 and 5 and you, 35 and 1 and people may look at that and think that yeah, he's, he's pretty average. He's not. Trust me, the fights that he's in, he gives he gives every fighter a hard time. So it's an interesting one. I know I remember that because of uh, the Jamie McDonald fight, and that was the fight that always stuck out for me as well. I know Jamie did win the fight. Um, I think actually it was, it was in actual fact there's no contest or something happened. I can't quite remember what happened, but he fought him. He fought him. I, I believe he fought him and lost to UD, and I think that was maybe even been the fight that many maybe even give Solis the fight. I don't know. But either way, it's a good fight, this one, and it's an interesting one. But I think Rigondeaux should come through. Hopefully. You don't know, again, boxing, this is what it throws up at us. But uh, I'm I'm glad to see Rigondeaux back out there. Hopefully they do perform. You know, they, they get it on, and, and it's a good fight, and Rigondeaux moves on. Well, just as a side note, the reason is for the vacant WBA bantamweight title is because a new A. He, he has vacated and he hasn't. So what's happened is, if you didn't already know, he was elevated to the WBA's super world bantamweight right. champion. And that is why this is for the vacant regular, essentially, this is the right. regular WBA title. So again, it's back to the sort of bullshit politics of, of the organisations <laughs> doing this. So it would make Rigondo a world champion again if he wins this fight against Solis. 
And in terms of Inui, he, he's, he is sticking around because obviously he has got that mega fight coming up with John Riel Casemiro for the WBA right. Super, the IBF and the WBO Bantamweight titles in April. And that's a fight, obviously, we all want to see because we want to see him take on the conqueror of Zelani Tate. So that's going to be a cracking fight that we're really looking forward to. So that is why this is a vacated title, essentially. So it's not that he's vacated it in a sense he's been elevated so it becomes a vacant title which is for anybody that is just sort of a your ordinary boxing fan who likes to see these big fighters probably thinking what the hell's going on here this is what happens unfortunately in boxing there's too many bullshit titles and this should be essentially Regendell should be fighting Solis for the right to fight the winner of Casemiro and Anui and that's how it should be but that's unfortunately not how it's going to go down so Guillermo Rigondo could potentially go on to fight anyway should he decide to still stay around if he goes on to beat Casemiro so there's a lot of ifs and buts going around at the moment and it just depends on how both of these guys go in their fights as to whether they will actually see the regular champion face off against the super champion which you know is fucking bullshit when you when you say it like that but but I would like to see it happen genuinely as you were speaking about earlier so yeah that that is the other fight of the weekend really is looking out for Rigondo against Solis so that's all the major fights over the weekend and just wanted to use the last 10 minutes of our episode really just to touch on our reactions to obviously the Friday morning boxing for us as it was which was Demetrius Andrade successfully defending his WBO middleweight title against Luke Keeler who was very brave in going over there and was quite overmatched to be honest with you I said he was an improved fighter he is but he's definitely not at that level. No, he isn't. And, and literally, as that started, he, he, I think it was the first punch Luke went down. It looked like it was a... He sort of got whacked across the ring. It was funny. It was almost like he caught, got caught off balance and then sort of flew back. And then he got up too quickly and then just went on his knee, got the count. And then um, you thought maybe it's just one of them fluke shots and it's just it just got, got, got caught cold kind of thing. But then in the second round... Andre did put him down heavy, and I must say, Luke King was very fortunate that he hit it the bottom rope, and if it didn't, and he hit the canvas, he wouldn't have got up. He would have been absolutely sparko. But um, thankfully, his head was caught on the rope. He sort of looked momentarily out of it, and then he got up again, to his credit, back to his feet and carried on. I believe he got knocked down again in the third, if I remember rightly. Um, a valiant effort from Luke, uh, to be fair, to keep going right up until sort of, what was it, the 10th or 11th round when eventually he was stopped, but well overmatched, and Andre just looked too powerful, too strong, and and Keeler just, all those, as you say, rightly so, you know, he was, he, he's very, he's improved, he's a very, very much improved fighter, he just ain't nowhere near that level of Andre, and now hopefully we can get Andre moving on and getting those big unification fights, which we always talk about in every division, but that's what we want to see. Uh, but but the one thing for me was the one fight that really stuck out was Akhmadev. Akhmadev against Daniel Roman. Uh, that was the first fight that was that I see. It was obviously over in Miami. It was the first fight that came on on the night of the sky. And, and uh, Akhmadev, obviously, I think he went 8-0. I think that puts him level with Leon Spinks when he won his title against Ali. Well, I think he was 8-0 when he won that. Mate, I'm guessing so. Obviously, the only other guy is obviously... Lomachenko won it when he was, what, his third or second fight. But Akhmadev, we thought there was something about him. Why would they be throwing him in the ring at such a very short 
period of time in his professional career against a very good champion in, in Daniel Roman, and, and we spoke about the previous show. And that, that Daniel Roman, I, I, I completely forgot that he was a unified champion. That was bad of me. I knew he had a title. I couldn't quite remember he was even legitimate. But people obviously felt that he's the best in the division. And Akhmadev, I thought he was outstanding. I still think Navarati, Ray Vargas, you know, they're the two guys to beat. But Akhmadev was brilliant. And his emotions at the end of that fight was outstanding. It's just, it was great to see. Uzbekistan fans in the background and, and he, I really enjoyed watching the kid and, and the way he sort of marched around in the ring sort of reminded me a little bit like Golovkin the way he walks down his opponents um, but oh, just just really pleased for the fellow and, and what a result what a great win for him No it was a great win for him massive win for him and obviously you know we were we were not really 100% clued up on Akhmed Delayev his career we didn't really fully know you know everything about him he has come from obviously the amateur scene it's his amateur career that's really put him in good stead the same way it put say Lomachenko in good stead he'd been in the ring with guys like Michael Conlon throughout his amateur career you know you look at the Olympics and we were talking about the Olympics in the dry January episode that we dropped a few days back and you know we were talking about the quality of the fighters that come from, from from the Olympics and who go on to do well. And when you've got guys like Lomachenko, who, who had so many fights in the amateur scene and then went on to to obviously turn pro and had a, had a world title fight in his second bout and lost to Salido, you know, that just goes to show you, you know, how good of a how good of a fighter these guys actually are. And, and obviously, Akhmed Alayev had a pretty decent amateur career himself as well. So, you know, as a, as a result of that... They've decided to turn him pro and they've decided to get him that shot. And obviously he's proven that he was worth putting him in the ring so early on in his eighth professional fight winning them titles. So fair play to the lad for doing what he's done and going out there and picking up the victory. And, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing the other fights against Navarati and Ray Vargas if they do happen down the line. So great victory for him. Really, really good victory for him. And, and Daniel Roman, obviously valiant in his efforts as well in that particular fight as the defending champion. So the other fight on the card was Tevin Farmer and Jojo Diaz. And Tevin Farmer lost his title to Jojo Diaz, which I did say the bookies had this really, really close in terms of the odds. And this is why. This is why it was really close. This is why the odds were a little bit shit for people who were betting fans, really, who were better, who were gamblers, because it was really difficult to get a good return on this, uh, unless you could specifically say pick a round or pick them, pick a certain way of of putting the bet on, but. You know, in, in the general odds of this, we're really, really close, and th- this is the reason for it because Jojo Diaz went in there and caused an upset. He did, and and I must say as well, credit to to Jojo Diaz and his cut team because he was cut. I think it was it was a, a butt, completely accidental from Tevin Farmer. But my goodness, right on the eyelid, and it really buffed open. It was really wide, and I'll be honest with you, I I was expecting is it actually quite cringeworthy at first when I was watching the fight, and I thought. If it gets worse, Jesus, like, he literally, it was almost getting to the point where you, you can almost see the fat in the, in the cut. And I was expecting that to even open up where you can almost see his eye through it. Like, it was that bad. It was a terrible cut. The doctor did look at it a couple of times, and I was worried the fight was going to get stopped. But saying that, I thought Jojo Diaz was outstanding. I thought he, he did everything that he needed to do to beat someone like a Tim Farmer, and, and he put it on him. And, and, and he didn't, he didn't, he just couldn't. He couldn't get in any rhythm, Farmer. And that's exactly what, what how you be Farmer is exactly what Diaz did. He obviously done his homework and he watched the other fights Farmer lost. And, and he was outstanding. And, and now it puts him in a great position because obviously we've got my man Miguel Bertrand. And you, I know you like him too, Sean. He's just, I'd love to see that Diaz and Bertrand. Um, 
I mean, you've got Santa Cruz in there, Frampton and Oscar Valdez. All three of those obviously have moved up. Have they? Some of them could probably dip back down again. I'm sure they would if they if they have to. But what what a great division to be in for him and to be a world champion. He's got some great paydays ahead of him. He certainly has. He certainly has indeed. So that sums up all of the fights that have gone on and that sums up all the fights that we're looking forward to this weekend and there's been no major breaking news in the world of boxing so far and I think the one thing I did want to touch on and it's completely off topic from what we've been talking about in this preview episode but it's something that's been going around Twitter and Facebook and all the social media platforms over the last 24 hours prior to us recording this was... The use of social media and previous usage of social media. So a good example of this is obviously what happened in the case of the last 24 hours is that someone's decided to go out there and dig up a load of old tweets from uh, Umar, IFL Umar, as they call him, who does the interviews alongside Coogan Cassius for IFL TV, and dig up a load of old tweets from, say, two, three, four years ago where he's basically saying a few nasty little things about... Liverpool and about people from Liverpool and and he's called Tyson Fury uh, I think he was a crackhead cunt I think he called him in there and then obviously you see him now getting interviews and exclusives with him over in Vegas so everybody's calling for him to be sacked people are saying he was he was too young you know he, he should forgive him for that and it just made me think a lot about the experiences of, of the use of social media and I just wanted to get your thoughts on it really because it's a hot topic at the moment and he initially looked like he'd deleted his account but it looks like it's back on now and IFL have obviously made a statement uh, they've not determined whether they're going to actually fire him as as an interviewer because it is a paid job they do get paid about 24 grand a year for doing that now so I think I wanted to sort of find out a little bit from yourself as to what your interpretation is on this situation so he's made a few tweets a few years ago someone's gone well out of the way to go and dig these up to basically say this is what he said a few years ago and cause all this controversy with a lot of people and saying he should be sacked he should be removed from his role and what do you what do you make of it all what's your thoughts on all this do you know what I, I did see there was some sort of some craziness happening with him and I didn't really look too much into it and I, I see a vague bit, but you've explained it really well. So I, I now I completely understand it, and I've, I, I don't really know. I mean, I suppose when was he employed? So I'm guessing before these two he was employed. After that, yeah. at the end of the day, he would have probably used Facebook back then when he or, or whatever it was, or whether it be Twitter as a as, as his own sort of way people express their opinion. Some people have God knows how many tweets on a single day, so God knows who went through and picked all that out. It's just an opinion. At the end of the day, I mean. People are asking him to be sacked and saying, well, why is Tyson Furious in the ring when he says the things he says over Jessica Ennis? And, you know, you know, it gets a bit blurred, basically. I'm just saying, just because he's a, he's just a guy that does interviews. He doesn't, you know, he hasn't got a fan base as such, has he? So I felt he's got the fan base. People might not like him, but he's employed by them. They've employed him to do their interviews. What he thinks away from it, I think it's completely irrelevant. You know, it happened a few years ago. People say some stupid things, unfortunately. To drop the C bomb on Tyson's a bit harsh, but at times I felt it to be fair. <laughs> he can be a little bit of one. So I don't know. I don't think he should be sacked for it. No, I think if anything, they should have done their own homework and, and realised what he was about as a person anyway. You know, this is social media. So maybe they should have looked at that themselves. It's, it's them more to blame than his. So I don't think he should be sacked. As long as he does his job well, he asks the right questions, then fine. If he's not asking the right questions and he's boring and no one likes listening to him, then fine. 
get a reason to get rid of him. Maybe that's what it is. Whoever dug it up, maybe it's part of IFL and they want to get rid of him on a on a different note. I don't know. I, I, I just think, you know, an opinion's an opinion. Sometimes people might not like it. As long as it's not racial or uh, sexual in terms, I don't know, you know, as long as it's, you know, if it's just an opinion on someone and you call not dropping a C-bomb on someone, I'll tell you what, I hear that every day. I, I've got no bones about that. I'm not really bothered about it, to be honest with you. But I don't know. I think you should just give him the benefit of the doubt and, you know, as long as he does his job well, I'm not really bothered. It's a difficult one because you see this all the time, not just with this particular situation, but you see if someone makes a comment on social media... There's, there's, there's lines that you kind of you don't cross. So yeah. there was a, there was an incident uh, a few a few weeks back where I think it was a I can't remember which football team it was that it happened to, but there was what looked like monkey gestures at Raheem Sterling. I think it was, and basically mm-hmm. the powers of social media kind of tracked this guy down from a photograph and managed to find this guy's Twitter profile and then basically found out who he worked for and then started basically going to that company on Twitter and saying, you need to sack this person. Okay, it looked like he was making gestures that were racist, so understandably so, people were infuriated by it. I think my issue with the the social media side of things, and this goes back to sort of the Umar situation, is you know, these certain comments were made uh, from Umar's perspective about Liverpool and about something to do with the Hillsborough disaster, which oh, okay. didn't go down too well, and... I don't yeah. think it was comments that he made. It was quoted comments that he'd put on his tweet. And I think because of that, it's been interpreted in a way as he was insinuating something. So what's happened there is anybody that's a fighter from Liverpool, Anthony Fowler's come out and said something. Robbie Davis Jr. has come out and said something about they're never going to do an interview for IFL as long as he's working there for them again. And some of the comments that he made were a bit below the belt. For some people, they're probably a lot more below the belt, of course, for, for reasons that they have. But... These were things that happened years and years ago, and I think what you said nailed it on the head for me with this situation. When he was employed by AFL, they should have done the check on him. They should have vetted him in that way, and they should have looked at his account and gone, "Have has he got anything on there that's going to bring any of what we anything we do into disrepute?" So they should have gone through and done that, and they didn't, and that's that's really on their head. So. I don't think they'll get rid of him. I think they'll keep him away out of the limelight for a little while and then maybe ease, ease him back into it. I think the one thing he does need to do is come out and say something. That's the only thing he's not done yet is come out and say something himself and just say something along the lines of, you know, comments that were made five, four or five years ago were were idiotic comments by myself and he accepts sort of full responsibility for making them idiotic comments. However, it's because he's now in the limelight a lot more because he's doing a lot of interviews and he jet sets across the globe to do these interviews. This kid's only like 21, 22, by the way. So these comments were made when he was 16, 17. And wow. some some people are saying it's not justified. It doesn't matter how old you are. You're making the comments. You know what you're saying, so you should be sacked. It's such a difficult situation with stuff like this. And I think the point I'm trying to bring it back to without rambling too much is is the use of sort of social media and the personas that people put out there on social media when it comes down to boxing and boxing Twitter. And I think there'll be a lot of people that listen to this and probably relate to that, where they see people calling people cunts all the time or this and that all the time, or people will will slag people off. But a lot of what people usually say to people about boxing is usually just a persona thing. It's never usually meant with the malice intention that, that people sometimes make it out to be. 
but I do think there's a line where people need to kind of stop with this, let's go and find out where this person works and let's go and try and get them sacked for their employer because it breaches some sort of social media policy in their employment. And I think that's the part that I don't think is the right thing to be doing. If you When you go on there... You know, like for for us, for example, we go on there. We don't go on there advertising where we work or who we work for or what we do for a living. We go on there strictly only to talk about boxing and anything related to boxing in this podcast. So anything that we say is only ever related to boxing. It's never usually political, racially motivated or any sort of motivation behind it. It's usually only related to boxing. So it's basically like someone coming at one of us and saying, I don't like what you said about a fighter, so I'm going to go and find out where you work and I'm going to try and get you sacked for that. No, it's, it's very dangerous, isn't it, social media? It's, it's a very tricky thing, and I didn't realise it would have been, what, 15, 16 or whatever. Luckily enough for me, I wasn't brought up in, in the social media world because I'm not saying I would have done anything in terms of said anything, but like back then in, in terms of to, to, to be racial or sexist or anything like that, but... I would have quite easily said some things that I would look back on now, 20 years later, and go, what the fuck was I thinking? Uh, that's what happens when you're 16 years old. And that's the trouble. I mean, we've all gone out about it. We've been out on the piss with friends and whatever, and we've done silly things. You know, if anyone says they haven't, then they're bullshitting you. Fortunately, that's how it is. And the trouble is, you've got camera phones, you've got social media. You make a mistake as a young kid today, and you can get crucified by it, not even when you're 16 four or five years later, which is a bit a bit of a shame, really, isn't it? And, it, and as you say, those people that try to dig up all the old detail is, I don't know, it just seems a little bit a bit sad and boring as well, to be honest. I mean, who, who on earth is doing that, really? Who would go through someone's account for the last five years? Like, oh, four or five years, I just think even that alone is a bit, I think that's a bit sad. But It's like a, it's like a vendetta, it's like a personal vendetta, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It really is. It's really weird. It's like he's been picked out on and, and they've they've made a point of him. I, I don't I don't quite get it. I, it's it's difficult for us, I suppose, because we ain't been sort of we ain't lived through this social media era. We've we've come into it later in our lives, so probably a little bit more clued up than we want to put something out there. Uh, whereas some of the kids and you see it all the time. Some of the stuff that they come out with, you think, oh god, he's going to regret that in a few years. And and I wrote it. That's what's happened to him. He's come back and bit him in the ass, but. Oh, that's unfortunate. I think he deserves a shot. You know, for fire to turn man as well, like, I mean, I don't expect nothing, nothing other than what, Andy, what you said about Andy Fowler. That doesn't surprise me. I mean, he's, he's, he makes me laugh, that guy's he's, I mean, I've got my own opinion on him. He, I like him as a fighter, but I think sometimes he'll jump on the bandwagon when he can, he's one to talk. He does. He makes mistakes himself. So, just accept it. You made a mistake. You're a young kid. You know what I mean? Just, you're going to have to live with it. As you say, come out and say, I apologise to those if I insulted you. I do apologise. I was very young and naive. Similar as that. Done. People in the whole grudge are just down to them. You know, you move on. For some people listening at this point, probably thinking, oh, they've gone completely off subject of, of what they normally <laughs> would. I just think it's a hot topic. People are talking about it. Yeah, people it are, are debating on it at the moment. And it's, every time I open one of the social media apps, whether it be Facebook, whether it be Twitter, I keep seeing something to do with it. So I just felt like, well, we're recording the episode for our big fight preview. You know, whilst there's not a lot of big news going around, I think this is something to talk about. And it just kind of made me feel like 
the dangers of obviously social media and, and and how it can be used to to certain advantages and how people can use it to to ruin people's lives essentially it happens people try to ruin people's lives by digging up something like that or interpreting a comment in the wrong way i mean again off topic look at the guy from from itv news who's had to step down because he he quoted shakespeare to to a black guy and it had the word ape in it and all of a sudden this guy jumped on it straight away because he was black and said oh he had the word ape so he was insinuating something so he was becoming racist about it i didn't interpret it like that and this guy's interpreted it that way and took it to the extreme where the guys had to go and basically step down from his job and this is twice in the space of a week this has happened now with people that essentially are in some type of limelight whether it be youtube limelight or whether it be someone who's been a news presenter on the telly for about 30 years it's it's ludicrous so if anybody out there you know any of our listeners are listening uh, are going on there and you, you do have professional jobs out there which could put you at risk by putting something on social media i think my advice would be to to make sure you think about what you're putting before you put it on there and even if even if you think you've got a persona on social media even if you think your details are kept as private as possible what you've got to remember is you've probably got a digital footprint out there so if anybody really wanted to try and find some information about you as a person and where you work it wouldn't just be social media they could go looking for you and there's a lot of other places where you could possibly have left a digital footprint so <laughs> the only the only way to go about it is to either just be very careful about what you put on there or just try and remove any digital footprints that you've got on social media or the internet which would probably mean you'd have to come off everything and not be a part of it which is the only logical way to do it so just think about it before you put something out there because i think we've all been prone to doing it at some point we've all made silly comments at some point one one point or another and i think it's it's just kind of made me feel like you you as listeners and obviously ourselves johnson should sort of highlight it to people and say look if you're out there you're using social media even if it is about boxing and you think it's okay to kind of say something in particular about a certain individual whether it be a fighter a promoter or whoever i think you need to be a little bit more careful because even though you think you can get away with it this is just evidence that you can't yeah absolutely and and you look at somebody's sort of especially the old twitter accounts probably not so much facebook but more twitter for me is when you see the you know if you ever look at someone's account you see them sort of berating someone and giving them a really hard time and being plain, just downright rude. Sometimes you just think, my God, I mean, if you said that to someone on, on the street, they'd probably give you a smack around the ear. I mean, it's like, wow. And then you actually look into their account and they've got a picture of, I don't know, Liam Gallagher. There's not a single picture up of any of them. You don't know nothing about them. It's just a bogus sight. Some some sad nutter has decided to just create a picture and call himself a name and then start just, just loving to just troll. And people do love to do that's another thing. You've got to be careful not to get yourself into these... You'd have some silly troll that could be a 13-year-old boy, could be a 13-year-old like girl, who knows? But it could be a 50-year-old man acting like a 13-year-old. Who knows? They just they just literally will troll you and you've just got to try not to bite back because sometimes that gets you in trouble as well. So absolutely, be careful. If you've got a legitimate account and you're not one of them people that are going to start trolling, you just love... To talk boxing, you know, with other boxing fans, and yeah, just just be careful what you put out there because people, there are people out there that will love to ruin people, and they they enjoy it, unfortunately. And it's a new world. You got you got to be careful when you're at home, not just when you're in your work working hours. Definitely. So. I, this is it for us guys i hope you've uh, enjoyed most of this episode and obviously this little bit at the end about staying safe on social media and obviously the dangers of it as highlighted in the past 24 hours more so than ever 
if you've enjoyed the episode as always please let us know by going to social media dropping us a tweet at btr boxing pod and you can look at us on facebook as well btr boxing podcast on there as well if you've not checked out any of the other series you can find us on the legendary nights podcast the ones to watch podcast career profiles podcast we're on social media we've got all our accounts on there and we're very strategic <laughs> about what we're putting out on there it's all episodes of all the different series that we've ran for the past couple of years so as always, Johnson, thank you for coming on and doing Pleasure. the big fight preview for this weekend. Can Kel Brook put a return to forming or will it be the beginning of the end for Special K? See you next time, fight fans. Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.